uh, because I don't think I've ever done it quite this way before, we're going to have an additional word of prayer. Father, uh, we really need to hear from you this morning. Uh, I just want to confess uh, for myself and for so many, uh, not necessarily as, as sin, but Lord, just as a revealing of my heart, that these have been really difficult months. Uh, Father, there, there is a weight that seems to come with life in these days. Uh, and sometimes it's because of what's happening in our world and in our country. Sometimes it's because of... Uh, Father, issues related to uh, our health and to COVID. And uh, Father, sometimes, and I think it feels like this is happening in our church as well. It's just because there are seasons where life is harder. It's just not a wandering in the, in the pasture amongst the flowers. But Father, it feels more like traveling through a dark wood. And we need you to speak to us in the midst of that. We need your help to live each day. And we pray, Lord, that this would be a moment in which you do speak to us in the ways that we need to hear, in ways that are transforming, and that change the, the nature of how we see the world, how we see each other, and how we live. Lord, give us reason for joy this morning. And we pray in Jesus' name. Well, the sermon title will still work, but I want to take us somewhere else to start. And you're going to have to forgive me because I haven't marked out any of these passages, so I'm trying to find them all uh, uh, just by memory here. But I want to take you, first of all, to Jesus on the cross. Jesus on the cross. And if you remember, uh, as Jesus was hanging on the cross, there were two people who were hanging next to him. Uh, perhaps one on either side. And as uh, all of the people around him uh, mocked him, uh, the crowds called out and they said things like, if you're really the son of God, as a matter of fact, here in Matthew chapter 27, he saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And in the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. Uh, we have to go to another gospel uh, to find uh, a little more on the story of those two rebels. And of course, you've probably heard the story of the rebels before. I think I've mentioned them more than once here. Uh, but the, uh, the story goes something along these lines. Uh, these two men are, are heaping insults and abuse on him just like everyone else. Uh, and then, uh, as one of the criminals continued to do so, the other criminal changed his mind. The other rebel changed his mind. And he said this, Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. I often wonder what changed uh, this rebel's mind, this criminal's mind, as he hung next to Jesus. Why in one moment was he heaping abuse on him and in the next defending him? And not only this, but he goes on to say, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Those are bold words 
for a man hanging on a cross to another man hanging on a cross. If there's anything that we know in life, it's that men and women in the electric chair getting their lethal injection, hanging on a cross, do not have a kingdom to look forward to. The text doesn't tell us what changed this man's mind. But I love, I take comfort from what Jesus responded to him. Truly, I tell you, Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. There are a couple of things I take out of that. The first is today. Today. Not tomorrow. Not someday off in the future. Not God will forget you for a while, but then he'll remember. But today. Now, maybe if you and I were to be hanging next to Jesus on the cross... As a matter of fact, maybe this man even did this. I don't know, either tongue-in-cheek or, or uh, with sincerity. Maybe he said, you know, today's not quite soon enough. Can you, like, the next five minutes get us off these crosses? But no, Jesus instead says today. It's not going to change the moment that they live in, or at least it's not going to change the circumstances of the moment that uh, Jesus and, and this anonymous criminal are sharing. They're going to die on the cross. But they have a good future ahead of them. Today. And folks, maybe we need to hear that while our hope is running out a bit these days. Maybe we need to hear that God's purpose is not always to change our circumstances right away. Uh, when I was having big back problems last fall, they were so bad that I, I took a month off from the church. I couldn't even stand up to preach. I couldn't sit up in my chair to, to work on uh, my sermon or anything like that. And I took a month just to try and get better. And eventually, part of my treatment was to get an epidural. I, I, don't, know, now, I don't know if you've had an epidural before, but they're, they're basically putting medicine directly on the nerves in your spine. And the first time my doctor said, you know, I want you to go get an epidural, uh, I, I went and I saw the doctor who's going to do it, do it. And he said, well, you know, if there are a few options in front of us. We can do the epidural. It's a really good option. You can also try some, some prescription medicine. And I thought, I want to try the prescription medicine because I don't want people poking needles at my spine. I'm pretty sure of that. But it, the medicine didn't work. So I came back for the epidural. And uh, the first time I got it, I, you, know, you come in, I, I'm going to try and not be too graphic here for people like me who really don't like hearing medical procedures described, but uh, I, I was lying on my stomach, you know, it's like on a massage chair, except, you know, a horrible massage chair, and uh, then they, uh, they you give you the, the local anesthetic, and then they stick the needle in your back. And now, it doesn't hurt that much because uh, you, you got the local anesthetic, uh, at least when you get it my way. Uh, that's, that was my experience. But you can feel it happening. And my heart rate goes up. And I'm clenching on to you know, the, the little handles underneath the massage table. That's the most awful massage table in the world because of what they do to you on it. 
And uh, I am just thinking, God, I want this to be over. 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 Help me get through this. I want this to be over. You notice that I, I say, help me to get through this once, but I want this to be over like a hundred times. Because what I really want is a change in my circumstances. When somebody tells me, there is going to be hope for you today, I say, what time? <laughs> I need this to be done, and I need this to be over now. But part of what God is telling us is that his future promises are enough for our lives today. You know, my epidural, it's awful while it was happening. But unless I actually went through it, I wouldn't have gotten the relief that came next. It took away my pain. It was amazing. I walked in hobbling, and I walked out feeling like a different person. <laughs> Someone had one last week. I'm sorry. I hope I'm not giving you PTSD over there. <laughs> but... Oh, I'm so glad. But I was in that hospital for three or four hours. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard while you're waiting. It's hard while you're waiting. But today is really soon enough. See, if Jesus had said, you're right, you know, let's get down off of these crosses, we wouldn't share this meal together. We wouldn't be a redeemed people. We'd still be under our sin. And you know what Jesus tells us? Jesus tells us, I want you to be like me. And part, what part of that means, because you know, I want to be like Jesus in the abstract. I want to be, be holy. I want to do the right thing. I want to be loving toward everybody. You know, I, I want to overcome sin every time I come across it. But when Jesus says, I want you to be like me, he doesn't just mean I want your character to be like me. He says, I want you to really be like me. And that means you're going to live my life. And Jesus, he never pulled punches on that. He never said, you know, when I get up here and I preach, you know what I want to give you all the time? I want to give you sunshine and lollipops. I want to give you happy days. I want to always point you to the, the most joyful and exciting sorts of things. But God doesn't always do that because God wants us to be like Jesus. And Jesus was sad. And Jesus was angry. And Jesus was tempted. And Jesus suffered. God wants us to be like Jesus. And one of the ways we get to be like Jesus is unless he comes back first, we also get to die. But we can die like Jesus. I don't know if I can unpack this morning, because we're really doing this on the fly, what all it might mean to die like Jesus. But what if we face death that way? What if we said somehow in the midst of this, whether I'm lying in a hospital bed, whether I am driving, whether I'm dealing with heart disease or cancer, whether I'm dealing with some traumatic sudden incident, whether I'm lying in a hospital thinking I'm going to get better from COVID and I have a stroke and I die in that moment. God's not going to waste our death. 
help us to die like Jesus. But that's not the end of the story. If that's the first thing we might take out of Jesus speaking to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me. The second thing is in paradise. In paradise. There is so much that is wonderful and good in this world. As broken as it is, with the eyes of the Holy Spirit, we can look out and say, I still see God's good hand at work in so many places. I can't tell you how many of you have said things to me like, I can't believe people look out at this world and its, and its beauty and its glory and all of the goodness that fills it and not believe that there is a good God who made it all. The world, as broken as it is, is still a pretty wonderful place. But it's not paradise, is it? This word that is used here, paradise, actually uh, was originally used for gardens in Persia. Gardens in Persia. I want you to imagine that you live in a hot and dry place. (laughs) I see the joke after I said it. (laughs) And what's it like? We're driving driving around and, and we see on the hills it's just scrub, right? It's a bunch of scraggly oak trees. I know going up to Three Rivers, sometimes I look at some of, some of the oaks are, are really beautiful, but I look at some of the oaks and I go, oh man, like, that's, that's not a beautiful oak. It looks like it's just barely hanging on. Like it's, it's trying not to die. It's life is consumed by trying to not die. Just by trying to have the very bare minimum that it needs. And then you walk into a lush garden. What, what happens? When you go from the baked clay, the baked dirt, and you walk onto a grassy field, the temperature immediately drops a few degrees, doesn't it? Something about that changes the very weather around us. And this idea of of these these gardens was the idiom, was the, the metaphor that the ancient Jews and many people in the ancient world used to describe what, a, what heaven might be like. Now, I need us to kind of strip away some of our conceptions about heaven to understand this because really we've been hugely influenced by the Greek philosopher Plato who said that you know, the, the spiritual stuff is good and, and the material stuff is, is bad and so we want to escape off into this spiritual realm. That's not what these people were saying. They were using physical things and saying being with God, be, being in a place where God or the gods reward the righteous would be like, be like a beautiful garden in which you find shelter from the heat of the day, in which you find beauty when everything around you seems like it's just trying not to die, where you find plenty, because what do you do in gardens? You grow food, right? That's not the only thing that you might grow in a garden, but how many of you, you have a fruit tree at your house, maybe? You got some sort of food in your garden, 
It's, it's got the things that you need to feel satisfied. You know, I know that gardens grow vegetables, and those are not always like, oh, man, I can't wait to have some broccoli later today. But gardens also grow things like oranges, of course. They grow apples, and they grow mangoes, and they grow avocados and all of these things. And, and those are the kinds of things that when you eat them, you go, ooh, that was good. You don't just say, oh, that was healthy. You say, ooh, that was good. It was sweet, or it was crunchy, or it was creamy. It was good. And Jesus says, wherever it is that this, uh, this rebel on the cross, dying justly, was going to be, it was going to be a paradise. It was going to be good. There's one other piece here, and by the way, if I didn't say this, we're in Luke chapter 23, uh, talking about this story, but there's one other thing here I want to mention, but before I do that, uh, I'm going to go to a couple other places quickly. First is I want to go to 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 Thessalonians 4. Jesus tells us, uh, first of all, that when it feels like hope is running out, he's got something for us today. When we're facing death, he has something for us today. Not maybe this moment, but a good future that's coming soon. Uh, the second thing that he reminds us is that it's a good place. It's a good place. But then uh, when we come to 1 Thessalonians here, I feel like all my pages are stuck together. There's something else that I think we want to know. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning in thir verse 13, it says, Brothers and sisters, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you don't grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Do you pick up, uh, there are a couple of things I want us to see here. The first is that uh, the people in the ancient world were just as concerned about their brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers and children and friends and the rest of their family as we were. They were saying that we lost them forever. The second thing is that uh, what was the real worry it wasn't, are they not in heaven? It was, have they missed out on the second coming of Jesus Christ? That's what he's going to go on to describe. He says, no, Jesus is coming back, and they won't miss that. They'll be resurrected just like the rest of us. The best thing that we can want for each other is Jesus and all that Jesus promises And then he goes on, and he, he, of course, I've already said it. He says, we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him, those who have died. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. If they've died, that means that they will be resurrected first. They'll be raised up first. And he says, uh, after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Uh, this picture is not, I think, intended to be taken strictly literally. Like, what Jesus really wants to do is we're all going to fly for a few minutes when he comes back, and it's going to be great. But rather, it's actually a picture of something that happened with reasonable frequency in the ancient world. 
When a conquering king returned to his capital, he waited outside until all of the people came out to celebrate his victory with him. And then they escorted the king with great honor, or the general with great honor, into the city. That's what Jesus says is happening here. Again, the point isn't where, in the sky, on the ground, something like that, but the point is what. Jesus' triumphal parade back to earth that we will join him in. But notice that we will be part of a great company of people. Imagine what it'll be like for a moment when the Lord returns and people who maybe haven't seen each other in a long time, people that we've lost, are all gathered together. How wonderful do you think that'll be? It'll be a sign that God's really doing what he promised he would do, that he's really making the world right, that he hasn't abandoned us or just said, well, I guess that's so messed up, we're going to have to throw it away. He's going to come back and he's going to restore everything that's been lost. He's going to fix our broken bodies. He's going to fix our broken hearts. He's going to fix our broken relationships. And he's going to make this world paradise. So if as we really look into the grave, as we stand beside it, we know or we're taught that Jesus is going to do something about it today at just the right time, soon, and he won't leave us hanging. If we're going to remember that it's a good place that we will be, we can also remember that we will be there with the good people, with the people that we've lost will be restored to us in Jesus Christ. Now, we can't escape at the same time that there are people who won't be there. If you don't know Jesus, you don't get to join the parade. Remember last week we were reading out of C.S. Lewis and uh, he was talking about people who say, well, God, just, just show me who you are, and then I'll believe in you. But you, know, you haven't given me enough to go on now. And Lewis said something along the lines of, it's no use, it's no good standing up when it's no longer possible to sit down. Then the decision is already made for you. Your choice will simply be revealed at that last day. So folks, God's given us the responsibility to share with the dying world the truth about Jesus Christ. And how will they know if we stay silent? But now I, I want to come back uh, to Jesus on the cross. And uh, we're going to borrow from the Apostle Paul as well out of the book of Philippians. Once again, Jesus' words to the, this criminal on the cross, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. There's one other pronoun, I think, a set of pronouns, as a matter of fact, I want to point out. You 
will be with me. There are so many good things at the end of life that we're going to receive. We're going to get the place. We're going to get the people. We're going to get a renewed and restored world. But if we can now go to the Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians in chapter, chapter 1, at the very beginning, Paul is describing his life is tough. He's in prison. He doesn't know what the outcome is going to be. Will he live? Will he die? I don't know. He says this, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. God can do it either way. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. What shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart. Why? Because it's a better place? Because he'll meet all the people that he's, he's lost? Because you know, finally everything will be set right? Well, that's not what Paul holds out as most important. I desire to depart and be with Christ. You know, as Christians, we worship our God. We worship the Lord Jesus Christ. And I feel like we can spend a lifetime unpacking what that really means. I don't know about you, but some, you know, I'm praying. When I pray, I use a, a tool to help me. My dad taught it to me. He used the axe model of prayer. It's not the only way to pray, but I find it helpful. And it, it axe is an acronym, of course, and some of the words are a little bit, you know, we might not have chosen them immediately, but otherwise we wouldn't have an acronym like axe, which is easy to remember. So the first, uh, well, I'll, I'll give you the, the, the second, third, and fourth first, because the first one's the point I want to make. So we'll come back to that. It, it's C, confession, T, thanksgiving, S, supplication, which means petition or requests. And the A stands for adoration. And you always, well, at least I always start with adoration and prayer. And sometimes it's not easy. It's like, okay, what am I going to praise God about today? Like, I guess he's good. I can tell him he's good. Sometimes it does feel like that. But you know why I believe it's so good to start with praise and prayer, with adoration and prayer? It's because it gives me the right mindset for everything else. God, you're so holy, and I worship you. And when I see that you're holy, I remember I've got some things to confess. Or, God, I see that you are so good. You are so kind and generous to me in ways that I didn't possibly deserve. And when I confess, I remember that. You're not the God who's grudgingly forgiving me. You are the God who desired to forgive me because you're good. God, I... I need a big God right now because of everything that's happening in my life. And I want to praise you for being big enough. And not just big enough, bigger than I needed. Praise shapes life. But it ought to do something else as well. It ought to, it ought to connect our hearts in relationship to our Lord as well. Wouldn't it be a strange thing if we said, 
God is the most wonderful, the greatest. He is the most holy. He is the most perfect of anybody or anything, more so than any of us can even imagine. But I'm really not that excited to meet him. Wouldn't that be odd? We're not going to really get a full grasp on God's holiness, on his character, on how good he is, on why we should praise him until we meet him. And you know, if there's something that's really great for Julie about all of this, it's that, yeah, she's reunited with her mom, whom we know she missed so terribly already. We know that she's reunited with other people. We know that her body's not broken. We know that she's in a good and wonderful place. Her twin brother. Her twin brother. But for the first time, and you know, Julie was pretty good at praise. I don't know if you noticed. <laughs> More than most of us. You know, most of us are very Presbyterian. Like, the Lord is neat. But Julie, you know, it's like, woo! <laughs> but I'm telling you, meeting him face to face, what she was doing here is nothing compared to what she's doing now. Amen. You know, I, I hope that every time we stand by the grave, that we are transformed in those moments. Because these moments are part of today too. God gives them to us to remind us that this isn't everything, this isn't all there is. Sometimes that's good news because this doesn't feel great. Sometimes it's bad news because we were really putting our hope and affection on these moments and not on the moments to come. But folks, what if we see Jesus most clearly today? 